Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. And welcome to episode 00001371 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through to 20 hundred hours this evening, broadcasting to you from the world-renowned, world-famous Radio City Docklands, which is on the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nations. And I pay my respect to their elders, past and present, and I pay my respects to mob listening through the night. And gosh darn it, I pay my respects to every single one of you listening through. Your support of this program over the years is wonderful, and you help elevate voices or voices that won't usually be elevated by other forms of media. So your loyalty to this program, uh, if even if you're tuning in for the first time, is greatly appreciated. Now, thank you all for tuning in tonight, uh, wherever you might be. Uh, tonight on the show, we have two friends of the show. Shortly, we'll be joined by Leanne Carter from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Vels does tremendous work and is at the pointy end around a lot of the issues that arise when First Nations people become involved or have some sort of interface with the justice system here in Victoria. Uh, We've just learned that despite there being a decrease in the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in Victorian prisons, the rate of self-harm rose by 50% throughout the course of 2021. Why? Well, Leanne will be able to give us an insight into why that might be the case and some of the issues in and surrounding that. So stick around for that yarn coming up shortly. And in the second half of the show, we'll be joined by another friend of the show, uh, a Newark Justice Commissioner, Sue Ann Hunter. Despite COVID and a number of other issues confronting the commission, they've been able to get to a point where they can announce a roadmap to hearing the voices of elders. So we'll get to what all that means later on, but we just know that um, for my community and for for people in in my culture, that um, if we hear from our elders and they land, land, lay the cultural groundwork that is required for us to move forward and do our work, and no matter what sphere we work in, it makes life a whole lot easier because their wise wisdom, wise wisdom, say, at least they can speak English, um, their wisdom is um, so, so important for us to move forward uh, with the strength that they have found over the years and use that to actually empower ourselves as we try and do things as difficult as uh, a Truth and Justice Commission here in this place we know as Victoria. Now, on the weekend, although I didn't make it up myself, I saw some Triple R types made their way to Shepparton, Yorta Yorta Country, on the weekend for the Treaty Day Out. Of course, I saw a lot of mob up there as well from all over the state enjoying what looked like a really, really great night and a great afternoon that was had by all. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Now, 2022, oh, by the way, I should say that... Um, uh, with the introduction, I got my guests around the wrong way. They're both hyphenated names. I'm only human, um, but um, this guest I said was coming up later in the show was the first guest tonight. So if you can read all that, excellent. 
Okay, now 2022 is going to be a big year for the... Can you just be quiet while I do the introduction, please? Thank you. Uh, um, 2022 is going to be a big year for the Uruk Justice Commission because despite how incredibly disruptive the pandemic has been, uh, 2022 is the year that the Commission's interim report is due to be handed down. Now, one of the key, if not the key components of getting to that stage is ensuring that the work of the Commission is grounded in cultural authority to ensure that um, is the case. The Commission has just announced their roadmap to hearing elders' voices. Now, the take us through what that looks like is Commissioner and a friend of the show, Sue Ann Hunter. Sue Ann is a proud Wurundjeri woman with a background in social work, and in particular, she has worked to help improve the lives of Aboriginal children, women and families for quite a while now. Now she is a commissioner for the Uruk Justice Commission and she's a friend of the show and she's once again back with us here on the mission. Sue Ann, welcome back. Thanks for having me back in a completely different capacity now than, than I have been previously, but uh, it's great to be back. Thank you for your time. Um, how, how have you been? How have you been uh, in finding the role? How have you... Um, been dealing with that and uh, and being a single mother and how you've been dealing with um, the enormous honour but also the enormous pressure of being a commissioner with you, Rook? Oh, gee, that's a big question. Um, uh, I'll never forget the day that, that I got the call saying that I was appointed. Um, what an honour, you know, to walk in the footsteps of so many before me and and so many you know that are, that are still alive and and still fighting uh, for our rights it's just it's big it's really big but um, you know the more I get into it the more um, just determined you know this isn't about us as commissioners this isn't about um, individuals it's bigger than that it's about us facilitating a voice um, to be heard. Um, my daughter is immensely proud, even though she's 11, she's got her head around what it means. And to be able to um, show young women that they can, even if they are Aboriginal, you know, they can be anything they want and, and they, they don't have to be boxed in to um, stereotypes. And so sort of being cast into this this role model um sort of area now for, for young women and um, I don't take that lightly either. I just, um, it, it can be a bit overwhelming at times, but you just have to sit back and think about the bigger picture and and um, I've got, you know, really good leaders in, in Arnie Eleanor Burke, who's the chair, and um, Professor Maggie Walter, who who's just amazing um, and learning so much, but then Uncle Wayne, Atkinson, who's a historian who I've already learnt a lot of, and um, particularly around law, learning a lot of um, Kevin Bell. So I'm in this place of, um, you know, amazing learning and growth for myself, yet also making sure that our people's voices are heard and that they're mm. addressed and they're redressed. So, um, yeah, it's big. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't envy you the task, but I do envy the company that you keep. So, you know, like, like you said, Arnie, Wayne, um, Arnie Eleanor and Uncle um, Wayne, uh, what they don't know mm. about 
some of these matters and um, some of the issues that need to be addressed to get to some sort of, sort of form of, uh, of of truth really isn't worth knowing. And they are um, kind and gentle people. And so um, I envy that part of the, the role for you. Um, I don't like to assume knowledge. Um, I don't like to think that the, 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 the audience listening in now knows exactly what we're talking about all the time. Um, I'm, I'm sure that everyone's heard of the Europe yeah. Justice Commission. So could you just give us um, a, a quick refresher on, on, on the role of the Commission? Yes, so it's um, Australia's first uh, and only formal truth-telling body for first people, so the first Truth and Justice Commission in Australia, but it's specifically for Victoria, and it is actually a royal commission, it's independent of government um, and the First People's uh, Assembly of Victoria. So we will be looking at um, historical systemic injustice from... So it, we're starting from 1788 right through to contemporary. And if you think about Royal Commissions previously for our people, you've had uh, the deaths in custody and then um, stolen gems bringing home report, which actually look at one theme and we're looking at including those across, uh, you know, from 1788. It's big. It's a lot to look at, but, um, you know, we're, we're all up for it. Yeah, and it's going to reveal uh, a whole bunch of truths throughout the, the journey of the Commission, and it's going to actually, I guess... Um, put together some myths that we have some around some of the colonial identities that um, we've lionised throughout uh, throughout the ages. So it's going to be fascinating. One of the things I'm actually really looking forward coming out of it, uh, Sue Ann, is the fact that um, a lot of it hopefully will feed its way into the into school curriculums um, about the place as books and uh, reports and, and um, meaningful discussions and programs and podcasts uh, fall out of all the knowledge yeah. that is gathered throughout the course of the work of the Commission. So it's a, it's an arduous journey, but it's a, also at the same time a very exciting journey for um, for a lot of us mob um, out there. Now, COVID has been yeah. tremendously disruptive and there's been a little bit of disruption with the Commission earlier this year, which I'll ask about later. Um, but how confident are you of actually getting to the interim, uh, releasing the interim report in um, uh, June of this year? Because um, that's not very far away at all. No, it's not not very far. But work's happening in the in the background as well. Um, yeah. There's lots of processes that have to run parallel because we do only have three years for the commission. COVID has hampered our going out and really. Um, meeting and chatting. It should be on our second or third round of On Country by now. Yeah. Um, but again, in saying that, we're really mindful that our community is so vulnerable and we would hate to be the ones to take COVID into a community. But particularly also, we need to stick by the rules and um, whatever they are at the time. But now everything's lifted and we're able to go out. It's It's just so exciting. We're really... Um, looking forward to getting out on country and talking to elders and then starting our hearings. But uh, we're really confident the interim report will be published when it's due, which is 30th of June 2022. We have no problem about that at all. Fantastic. Now, um, you've just announced that um, there will be a roadmap to the hearing um, elders' voices. Uh, tell us about yeah. the roadmap and why it is so important. 
So um, the roadmap is on our such a colourful little lovely um, visual there for people if they want to look at it. And so currently at the moment where our community engagement is doing all the pre-engagement work before we head out to our elders' yarning circles. But in between that, on the 24th of March, we have our launch and ceremonial sitting. So what happens generally in a Royal Commission is they will um, have sort of like a legal launch where they sit down and explain the commission, the chair will talk, and then council assisting will talk. We will have that, but we'll also have ceremony, um, Mm -hmm. which will be grounded in culture. So that will be streamed live as well. Um, so, ha- so make sure you, you have a look on our socials or our um, our web page and you'll be able to get that streamed. After that, we head out on country between the 25th of March and the 22nd of April. We're mm-hmm. heading across the state. Um, we will start in sort of Melbourne Metro because that's where we're having our, um, our launch. So we, we will do uh, that area first. Um, But we will come around to all the regions. Um, We will meet with elders across the state to identify which matters elders consider important for your book to focus on throughout its inquiry. Now, we can assume we've got got a thing called, I don't know if people are aware, a thing called the Letters Patent. They're on our website as well. They are like instruction manual to the Commission. Um, And so... We've got certain things we have to look at, but what we will be guided by is the voice of people. And particularly we find elders, uh, our mentors, our teachers, um, our storytellers. And so we feel like we, as you mentioned earlier, we really as a commission want to be grounded in cultural authority. And we've done our groundwork in making sure we've got cultural legitimacy throughout everything we do. So the next step is making sure we're on track with what we see and hear from elders. Um, and so we really want to hear their voices and that will be around them. We're also going to do one-on-one cuppers for some elders that may not be able to get out and maybe uh, in nursing homes, you know, stuck at home, whatever that is. What we would like families to do as they start appearing on our website, the regional visits and where they are, We'd love um, family whose elders aren't really that connected to sort of social media or internet um, or out and about much to let them know and we'd love to uh, speak to them as well. We want to reach as many voices as possible. We go from from there. The other thing actually is we we will be doing some of them um, wherever the elders see fit. So we may visit certain sites and have Elder Circle on significant sites in their area will be guided by them, or they may be involved at, at a local service. We go from there straight into the truth-telling, um, so online and supported, and we start our hearings, um, our Elders' truth-telling hearings, which will, be, um, which will be televised as well, so that will be streamed through the internet. Um, as well as you may have seen other Royal Commissions do that or yeah. people online. Um, and so we'll be doing that as well just before um, interim report is published. In the background, we are doing that research component and looking at certain things for the interim report. Um, and the Elders' Voices will just add and prop that up for us about exactly what we're thinking um, and being on track about that. 
So if you want more have information that. on this, and if you have, if you have, uh, if you if you if you mob and you know of elders that would be interested in participating in this, then the place yeah. to really go is EuropeJusticeCommission.org.au to find out more. Through that yeah. website, you'll be able to get links to the commission's uh, socials, and so they'll be detailing where they're going uh, on a regular basis through those uh, socials. What about um, Sue Ann? Uh, what about um, Use of uh, things like uh, you know uh, telephones. If if an uh, if an elder can't make it um, yeah. out of their home, or if it's not safe yeah. for them to make it out of their home, or they feel more comfortable at home, are they able to speak to the the commission just over the phone? They can speak to the commission any way they like. So it may yeah, be right. that they decide to someone to write it down. They may want to videotape it on even on their phone, or just make an audio, or they may have artwork they want to submit, or Poetry, whatever they are comfortable with, is the way we mm-hmm. take their evidence or their truth, um, and we will um, be taking every bit of evidence seriously. That's fantastic. We are talking all things uh, Europe Commission, and particularly the roadmap to hearing elders' voices, which is central to the work of the commission. If we are going to get to the truth, um, now. Uh, I think we've outlined how elders get involved, it, it, but it will, in a lot of the cases and a lot of instances, require that the help of uh, um, elders' families to actually facilitate um, a lot of this. So once again, I guess heading to the EuropeJusticeCommission.org.au would be the place to find out how to how to how to get involved yeah. if you're um, if you're a, a, a granddaughter or a son or a daughter of a um, of an elder. Yeah, that's correct. We've also got a newsletter on there, so it'd be really good to sign up to the newsletter. We'll also be reaching out to local services in their in their local areas. And so if they're already part of an elders group or, or quite actively involved, they'll come across us. Um, and as we go, we're obviously going to pick up better ways of making contact with people and um, getting our, yeah. our messaging out there. It's just coming out of COVID, uh, some people are quite being quite active in community, whereas others are still at home, uh, not really wanting to venture out at this point. So um, as we start getting out and about, we'll start finding different ways of contacting people and letting them know within their own areas. We are using a lot of local media as well to get, to get our messaging out. Fantastic. And I guess it's um, a, a process in itself that will actually reveal itself the further you go along, Sue Ann. I think it's something that um, you'll learn things as, as you go along in terms of the way that you can connect with um, various communities and various elders and mob across the state as you go along. Now, that yeah. sounds like it's – that doesn't sound strategic, but that's the way that these things actually happen in the real world, don't they? Yeah. Well, you know, none of us have – uh, I've been in a Royal Commission before. There's never been yeah. a Truth and Justice Commission before. And so we will, you'll see, if, you know, on our website, as we go through um, the roadmap, we'll start explaining more and more as we go yep. um, and, and confirming more and more. Hopefully we're not, I shouldn't even say it, touch wood, not hampered by uh, COVID at all. But um, we are so excited to be actually getting on the road and getting to actually hearing truth and hearing stories um, that we're all just like itching to get out there and really um, start introducing ourselves and start making people feel safe and start to understanding what processes are and how we're going to go about it and how we're going to do it. Um, And I think 
it's really important that we hear all the voices, not just the loudest, but we want to That's hear right. those little voices in, you know, in the background. And there's, there's sometimes the really important ones that, that haven't spoken before. But Absolutely. as we go along, scenes are going to come out and people are going to want to talk about certain issues. And when they come up, you know, we want you to feel safe enough to be able to say, yes, I will. There's another aspect of the Commission called Indigenous Data Sovereignty, um, yep. And we're the first commission to have data sovereignty principles implemented. So when someone tells their story, which we'll call the data, they have full ownership of what happens to that. So it's not like, for instance, um, if you think about the Bringing Them Home report, lots of stories come out of that. Um, and whether people wanted them to come out at that time or not, I, I, you know, I don't know. But... Um, at this point, people get a say over what happens with their stories. If they just want it for the commission, they just have it for the commission. If they want it to be told publicly and used um, publicly, we can do that as well. If they want bits and pieces or if um, they decide afterwards they don't want their story out in the public domain, then, then that's okay too. We need to make sure that people understand their stories aren't open to um, others' interpretation before the commission, before, as you said, education purposes moving forward, they're to form recommendations uh, for our people um, and they're finally voices to be heard as a collective. So people can feel safe in whatever they decide they want done with their stories is how we'll keep it. That, um, uh, that, that data heard, sovereignty... Actually. That data sovereignty, Sue Ann, is just so vitally important. We we know of instances through uh, research that's been conducted for generations with Aboriginal communities right across mm. the place that uh, the information yeah. that has been given to to researchers and to various commissions and inquiries has been exploited by people outside the control of the those who are actually giving giving evidence and telling their stories in good faith. So that data sovereignty that, that yeah. the people that actually uh, contribute to the commission with their stories and with with um, their truth, actually get an opportunity to say what happens to that data. So that's that's incredibly important. Um, I yeah. thought I could actually hear you that's touch wood before, literally, couldn't you? Yeah, I think you actually literally touched wood. I before did. I did touch, touch wood. wood. Yeah. I did. I'm on a yeah. wood deck, and I, I did touch it. I just don't yes. like talking about. It. We're back in the office, so that's the bonus. Yeah. And 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 with. Um, I was I, look. I, was, I thought it was important. That, I thought it was important for the uh, audience to know that you're actually literally touching wood there and that uh, you're a person of your word. <laughs> now, COVID has me worried, but, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be right. We'll be right. Yeah, no, you, you'll, be, you'll be fine. The commission is going from strength to strength and you'll get the job done. Yeah. Now, before I let you go, yeah. got to touch on something that was reported early in the year um, via The Age through uh, yeah. the Indigenous Affairs journalist there, Jack Lattimore. They reported that basically yeah. that there was um, some tumult at the uh, commission in terms of administration earlier in the year, and that resulted in the CEO, uh, Josh Smith, and um, a director from his office actually uh, resigning with accusations uh, of uh, infighting, as reported in The Age. Um, what is the state of all that now? Um, how's the administrative arm of Uruk looking at the moment? Well, one, I'm, I don't want to... I think it's fair enough to um, that, that it was a resignation and I'd like to respect Josh's privacy within sure. within that. So I don't really want to comment on that and I think that's 
um, that's fair. The commissioners are um, united and you can tell by the roadmap, if you have a look at the roadmap, that um, we're just want to hear truths and we want to get on with the job because this isn't about us. This is about, this is bigger than, than us and we just want to facilitate that voice, get the recommendations out there and, and really um, make sure that the job we do is the best we possibly can do for our people and for the next generations coming through. So, you know, I'll just let the work, work speak for itself really, I think, in, in yeah, totally. That's, I think, <laughs> I, that's a good answer. I think that's the way to go. The work will speak for itself. Um, sounds like you're well on your way. Um, sounds like you're primed and ready to get out there and, and speak yeah. and hear some of the hardest stories you'll ever hear in your life. But I, I know that uh, you and the other commissioners will treat those stories with respect and uh, give them the hearing and the respect that uh, those that are telling yeah. those stories absolutely deserve. Now, um, this is I think this is about the yeah. third or the fourth time. It might be the fourth time that you've been on the show, Sue Ann. So uh, what I like to do with um, yeah. uh, friends of the show is I like to uh, provide, uh, uh, provide a gift. And um, coming your way, check your mail. Um, you'll be receiving a uh, $30 Brashes voucher coming in the mail not too sh- um, soon. So that'll enable you to go out and get some That's of the best awesome. vinyl around. Yep, Alive in 85, you can go and uh, afford yourself a copy of that. Maybe Heaven in 87 on vinyl would be fantastic. Um, and there's this other young band coming through called Guns of Roses. Maybe you'll be able to get their th- um, first album. But um, keep an eye okay. out for that uh, Brashes voucher. So, Anne, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Um, we'll touch base as you, as you go through. And uh, the airwaves here at Triple R will always be available to you and other commissioners as we go through. Thank you so much, and thank you for your generosity with the brushes voucher. I'm just—I have no words for that. I'm just—it is pretty blown generous, away, I must say. Yeah, it is pretty. I'm, you know, never have I received a gift like that before. So I will—I will cherish it. And I just, you know, thanks for having us on. And and I do want to say, just, you know, um, that as a as a therapist and a First Nations woman, first and foremost. I just want to honour all those stories that come forward, yeah. and we will treat them with respect and the dignity that they deserve, no matter uh, how hard they are to tell and no matter how hard they are to hear. We will honour everybody's. But I just want to add on a positive note, we can't wait to hear the stories of resilience and survival as well in, within that. So they're going to bring us joy um, within the sadness. So um Thank there will be truckloads for, of inspiration. I know. It's, it's really exciting. So thanks for letting us uh, come on and, and talk our messaging, and um, I'm sure we'll be back soon enough. But keep an eye out because we'll unpack the roadmap as we're going, um, yep. and we will announce soon where our launch and ceremonial sitting will be held, which is really exciting. I really wanted to tell you tonight, but it hasn't been confirmed because it's really exciting. But, um, yeah. As soon as it is, we will get that up and let people know. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Sue Ann. Take care and we'll speak again soon. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. New Justice Department statistics have revealed that even though the population of incarcerated Aboriginal Victorians decreased, 
the number of incidents involving self-harm among Indigenous prisoners increased by more than 50% in the past year. Now, of course, that's a very significant increase, which means in real terms there were over 100 instances of self-harm among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander prisoners during 2021. So what are some of the reasons behind the tragic spike in numbers? Well, our next guest, Leanne Carter, is always well-placed to provide us with an insight. Leanne is a Wiradjuri, Wiradjuri and Noongar woman and is also the statewide community justice programs leader at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. So she knows all the ins and outs around some of these instances and she's a friend of the program, so it's great to welcome Leanne back. Thanks and welcome back to the mission, Leanne. Thank you and thanks. And also, um, it's great to come uh, yeah. you around such an important topic as well. Well, this this is an an, an alarming spike in in numbers around um, self harm. It seems to from people from a distance come out of come out of the blue um, in terms of the rate of increase. Uh, let's cut to the chase. From your perspective, what's causing the rise in self harm incidents amongst Aboriginal people in custody? Look, I think it's a sort of twofold question. First of all, we're talking about the vulnerability of the person, you know, that's actually um, coming into contact. And then we're talking about the system itself. So from what we've seen through the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, we've seen a lot of people coming through with, um, you know, particular vulnerabilities and a lot of systemic issues underlying that. So, you know, um, a lot of the people we're seeing had disabilities or, you know, really poor health issues. And that's obviously compounded by, you know, trauma or childhood trauma or intergenerational trauma. Um, you know, they're grieving perhaps loss of a loved one and struggling maybe with drug or alcohol. Quite often we see people coming in and are homeless. They're actually stealing food and, you know, and that's why they're getting picked up on lower level offending. And the reality is it's the systemic you know, um, policies that sit below it and the issues that exist within the community, you know, that's bringing people into contact with the system. I mean, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, those that are exceptionally vulnerable and getting picked up, we're talking about people living in poverty and quite often don't have any adequate housing. And we know that, you know, Within that, there's a lot of um, you know social exclusion and unemployment, and you know, and we know that that's all linked to health and to that initial contact. And when we're talking about you know um, the 53 percent rise that's been reported by the Department of Justice and Community Services, that didn't surprise us at all, not at all, because we yeah. actually raised our concerns previously around what we were seeing from, um, you know, from the client notification system of people coming into custody and how they were presenting. How much um, of a role, if any, did, did COVID play in some of these numbers, do you think? Look, I'm... When it comes to COVID, obviously that, that tends to um, make life a little bit more difficult, people a lot more isolated... And, you know, it's been much, much harder to access um, services. But what I don't want to start with one of the recent reports by the Victorian, you know, by um, the Coroner's Court of Victoria yep. is that we can't mix COVID in with the underlying issues. Yeah. Because yep. there was a report 
um, by the coroner's court. And that showed that there's been a 75% increase of suicides within our community. And it was made very clear that we shouldn't to COVID because if we do, we are going to fail to identify and address the underlying issues of what's going on in community. So I think that's really important to separate yes. COVID out. Whilst it does have an impact, it is not one of the systemic drivers of what is taking place, both in custody, increasing to employee cells in our, in our community. I think it's really, really important to sort of reiterate that, Leanne, is that uh, COVID has made life miserable for for, for people um, all over the place, and I'm sure that for, for people incarcerated, it's made life even more miserable. But when it comes to this particular issue and to issues of self-harm and suicide amongst Aboriginal uh, prisoners within our justice system, this is not a causal factor. The factors go far, far deeper than, than, than COVID. Uh, they are systemic, they are intergenerational, they are based in and around trauma. And we have a justice system that seems to be pretty good on preying on all these things at, at the moment, Leanne. What's life like for, for, an, for an Aboriginal person in prison? Well, we do know that a lot of prisoners report that, you know, they're subjected to strip searches, to we know that prisoners also use isolation particularly when they can't manage, you know, someone's behaviour, and that can quite often happen if someone's got a disability. We know we've got a high number of the population in prisons of people with disabilities, but, you know, it's that desperation of, you know, what's actually going on. It's quite frightening. It's isolating. You know, people are subjected, as I said, to isolation. That You know, they could be strict search. And we know that the use of isolation to control any perceived behaviours or issues or, or management issues only exacerbate the mental health issues. Now, I do know through speaking to some of the prisoners that they've really struggled throughout the lockdown because it has impacted on the delivery of cultural services and because it's also impacted on their ability for the face-to-face -face contact with their loved ones and families. And that's had a significant you know, impact on people's mental health issues as well. And as we know, prison cells and police cells will never be culturally safe. They will never provide the support or the, any wraparound service that our mob needs. It just seems to me, Leanne, that some of the, so many of the, the, the people that are ending up in prison cells and in and jail cells around the place are there as a result of health issues. Why, why are they ending up in the justice system when they should be ending up in other care settings? Because we've got limited resources as well. I mean, there's there's a few issues. One, we know that there's systemic racism, there's over-policing, there's poverty, there's, you know, these bail and sentencing laws that are significantly impacting, you know, on our mob for getting picked up for lower-level offences and jailed yeah, for it. You've, then, been, you've you know, been on the show before, Leanne, talking about, um, um, and so so has um, Narita been on the show talking about some of those bail laws. Just give us just give us a quick snapshot of what they are again. Okay, so obviously, in order to get bail, you have to have suitable housing, you have to have connections with community in case they think you might do a runner. And the problem is, if you're homeless and you've perhaps got mental health issues or maybe a little bit transient, right, 
and you've been on an order before but you haven't followed the order, but even if you haven't, it doesn't matter what offence you get picked up on, right, whether it's shoplifting or whatever, you have to front up to the bar of justice and satisfy them that you're not a flight risk, that you're not going to re-offend. But if you don't have a house, you can't provide an address for your bail address. So even if you do provide an address and for some reason you don't report in, you're not only charged with breaching your bail. Now what happens is breaching your bail actually incurs an additional charge. So anytime you breach your bail conditions, not only are you picked up for breaching, you're actually given an additional charge for that breach. And, you know, when, when we're talking about people coming into custody, let's, let's just face it, we're, we're talking about people living in poverty, right? We're talking about people with poor health. We're talking about people with significant, you know, um, health issues. And as we know, our mob are disproportionately impacted by housing, in, you know, availability. Yeah. And all of these factors play into what's going on with that person at the time that they present and how they present. And if you're someone with a disability or mental health issues, it makes you even more vulnerable, as we know. So the bail the bail um, reforms are, are not only perpetuating the cycle, they're actually speeding the cycle up, which is making people more susceptible to things like self-harm in some of these settings. Absolutely, because when they introduced them, as we know, it was in response to the incident that took place in the Mel in the city area. And as a result of these really strict bail conditions that they've actually implemented, it's like a dragnet. It's almost like going along and picking up all our mob, all right, and just dragging them into the system unnecessarily. People should not be jailed for lower-level offences or for what we refer to as poverty crimes. Mm -hmm. um, you're at the coalface with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service around some of, the, some of these issues. Um, you also have a very good perspective and insight into the way the community sector is uh, resourced. I think it probably goes without saying that it, there aren't enough there isn't enough resourcing for some of these community services to actually deal with the expanse of the issue that um, is unfolding, very, you know, right before us here in 2022. What what needs to happen from, uh, I guess, a government perspective in the terms of the way they resource the community to deal with our own? Yep. Absolutely. And the first thing I'd say is that we need sovereignty and self-determination over our resources to provide programs, you know, that promote that cultural connection and address any social exclusion. But we know that is the only way we're going to heal and strengthen, you know, our social emotional wellbeing within our community members. So in order to do that, we need to be properly funded to be able to run community programs which aim to educate and strengthen, you know, and empower and build resilience within our communities. Because we know that resilience is a significant, you know, and necessary protective factor, right? Um, particularly around our spiritual and emotional well-being. And the way I look at it and the way I've described it to people before is we need to be able to tailor our own programs. We know what works in our communities and we need early prevention programs, but we need to be properly resourced in order to do that. And, you know, when we talk about, say, you know, suicide, for example, right, we know that there's signs. We get told there's signs, you know. But how can you tell what those signs are if we 
if you don't know what to look for. And that's what, you know, these particular programs can empower and educate community around this. But, but we need to have the self-determination over it. So if we think of, for example, you know, someone that gets into trouble when they're swimming, you know, and their head's bopping up and down and for whatever reason, whether it's their swimming ability or the tide coming in or whatever, right, they start bopping up and down and they might put their hand up to get attention. It's the same with people who are struggling with mental health or have any suicidal ideation or, you know, or a contemplating suicide. They also feel like they're drowning and they may or may not seek help. But if we as community members and as a community can't see the signs or know what we're looking for or we don't have the ability or the resources, we're going to miss that opportunity. And sometimes we only get one opportunity. I think it's um you know it's it's a timely reminder too and you know it I, when 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 Vels goes on a on a, a fundraising drive it if it makes my heart warm but also makes my heart break a little bit too then that you have to actually go and ask the community to be funded properly to deliver the services that you do on an oily rag nineteen day out um, so I, I guess it's a, it's a timely reminder that people want to actually contribute. Um, financially to the work that uh, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service does. You can go to vals.org.au and uh, donate some some money there to help uh, address some of these issues that uh, the government slash governments uh, across the years have just allowed to self-perpetuate and um, go on without actually addressing the core of these issues. Vals does great work um, with people on a one-on-one basis, but they also do a, a tremendous amount of uh, great advocacy work, contribute to state and national debates around uh, issues of Indigenous incarceration. So um, if you want to uh, do something good with some of uh, your, your spare cash, go to vals.org.au and uh, donate uh, there. Um, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Um, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, I jokingly offered my previous guest, Sue Ann Hunter, a um, $30 brushes voucher, but um, uh, just because she's a friend, she's a friend <laughs> oh, of the yeah, show. Sue Ann on. <laughs> I, I extend, nice. I extend the same, yeah. I extend the same gift um, to you. Um, spend it wisely. Um, it is very um, finite resources. But thank you so much. Um, you're welcome to come on the show anytime to talk about these issues. And um, thank you for for keeping on, keeping on. No worries. And thanks for having me on again. And thanks to the mission. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Well, that's it uh, for another episode of The Mission. My um, eternal gratitude to uh, Sue Ann Hunter and Leanne Carter for coming on the show and talking about two tremendously important issues, not only for my mob, but for, I guess, the, the, the broader Victorian community. These... Uh, things that are going to either dog us or shape us as we move forward. Um, next week, I won't be in the chair because it's International Women's Day. Vanessa Morris will be sitting in the seat next week. She's uh, always fabulous. I love it when she fills in on the show. And um, I'm sure it's going to be an excellent day of programming for International Women's Day. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe, stay strong and stay listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives 
of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>